I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. To explore strange new worlds. To seek out new life and new civilizations. To boldly go where no man has gone before. Others lock up your sons. The fangirls are busting out all over. It's Fangirl Radio. Fangirl Radio. the fangirls on jackalope radio hey everybody and welcome to the latest and greatest episode of the fangirl radio show i'm your host jessica dwyer and with me as always is my lovely and talented co-host miss rachel t moore good evening and this week we have a special tribute episode um, because we lost a great artist we're doing way too many of these tribute episodes lately there's just Way too many people were losing, but um, this one really hurt uh, those of us who are fans of the horror genre and science fiction in particular. Um, H.R. Giger uh, passed away on May 12th, and um, and this episode we're going to have a couple of uh, special guests to help us uh, pay tribute to the man who is behind the alien, uh, Gene St. Jean, who we have had on the show previously, as well as Mr. Jerem Morrow, another artist and friend of the show that we've had on. Um, but before we get to our Giger um, tribute, we are going to have a lot to go over in Week in Geek. And the first big thing, of course, is the fact that the Ben Affleck Batman costume and picture has been revealed. <laughs> and, and this has caused a lot of debate, surprise, in the fandom world. And, um, yeah, uh, I, I like the costume. I'm not going to lie. I like how it looks. It looks like the Frank Miller comic to me, especially the, the ears and the cowl and all of that. But he looks so puffy. I just Ben Affleck to me is a is a, a lanky a lanky dude, tall, fit. This makes him look like he's got stuffing in his suit. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the problem with it is not not him as Batman actually. Oh, the crotch is problematic. I think <laughs> it is like have you really looked at this picture? I not look I I oh, it is. <laughs> it's David Bowie and Labyrinth only it's not David Bowie, so it's not excusable. But also I think the problem is he. It looks like Ben Affleck wearing a suit made for Tom Hardy. Yeah, I mean they're trying. I, if he buffed up like this, then my God, let us see Ben Affleck shirtless and see that this is his physique. Yeah, but they've like they've like drawn in veiny stuff and like. Well, the other thing that I and I discussed this with my husband, and um, he said, "Yes, you you've nailed it." Is the fact that what they've done? Okay. The Nolan verse is set in reality, as much of a reality as real as Batman can be, right? That is, right, right. That, that was the awesomeness of that universe. It could literally really kind of happen. And the uh, Man of Steel universe really has no place in that to me. I mean, there's no way in the Nolan verse a real Superman could exist. Right. No. So what they've done here. And the prime example of that is is the Batmobile. They've the the first shot we got of the Batmobile from the back end, which is all we saw when they first leaked that. It looked like a Nolan Batmobile. Now we're seeing right. it alongside Batman here, and it looks like they took aspects of the Tim Burton Batmobile and slapped mm-hmm. it on top of the Nolan Batmobile. So what they're trying to do is they're trying to mesh these two universes together. It's a because bad idea. And it's a bad idea because I don't know if that is going to work. It really probably won't. You're very angry about this. You sound very upset. Well, it's not that I'm angry. It's like I'm disappointed. 
because DC, I'm not angry. <laughs> DC is doing well, something really stupid here. Here's the thing: here's rushing the thing, to get though. this out because they want to try and catch up to Marvel. Here's and the thing, though, just, this is still in pre-production. So part of the reason that we're seeing this beforehand is so they can gauge everyone's reactions to it. But they've already built it. They're not going to rebuild this mo- this this vehicle. They're not. They're, this, this is where they're going with it. I don't care about the Batmobile as much, but, but like, it, but that the, the thing that this is what they're doing. This is what they're going with, and they they they've already <laughs> well they've already set the release date for the Justice League movie. They already have said they're doing it. So this is just mar. This is DC desperate to try and catch up to Marvel and they're going to screw it up. And I, I love Superman. I love Batman. I love Wonder Woman, but they're not giving her her due. They're not going to, they're, they're rushing through all of this. And after you've seen what Marvel has done and how long they took with it, once again, they're going to jack this up. Well, I've taken a new, I've taken a new um, approach to the DC movies because there are two things at play for me. The first is that I really love DC at its core. Like DC is why I fell in love with comic books in the first place. And so I want to enjoy them. And the second thing is I'm just going to go in planning for it to be ridiculous and to have fun making fun of it. And have a good time no matter what. I mean, if they keep me from making, even making fun of it being a good time, then they fa- utterly failed. But at the, at, at the core, these were originally things made for small children. You know what I'm saying? Like I watched Batman and like read Batman when I was little. And so they're darker now and we've done these grittier reboots. So we think of them as our characters, but if I can go in there and get some kind of childish, stupid pleasure of let's forget about it all and just like look at it new and have fun that's great but if they make it so bad i can't make fun of it and you and i've sat through those movies sweetie like we know then i'll be mad well but i'm kind of like trying not to get angry about it beforehand the thing is the thing is what you just said isn't going to happen because they're obviously going for the frank miller not kitty version of batman and yeah, but I mean, we'll, we'll we'll see though. I can't say that there's anything obvious about it because the biggest problem with it that I see so far is that the whole thing seems to lack cohesion. Like I look at that suit and I can't see it in the world of the new Superman. Well, I mean? yeah, and that's where I'm seeing these things not meshing together well. And I, I you know, I'll go see the movie after I hear everybody opinion about it I'll, i'm gonna go see it i'm not gonna lie i'll go i'll end up going i may go and see it like i did um batman forever which is i went to the buck 50 show in the in with the people with their whole chinese meal they snuck in in front of me and and, and laughed my ass off. that's probably what's gonna happen but i i just i'm just watching this happen to these characters i really love and i'm after such amazing stuff happened with Batman with Nolan, it just makes me sad. I I, just, I don't like how they're rushing this. It's stupid. It's going to fail. It's stupid. Yeah, but I can't say it's going to fail. It'll make more money than I'll ever see in my entire life. You know. What I'm oh, Green Lantern. Um, <laughs> that's all I'm going to say is Green Lantern. Yeah, I'm sorry. I, I'm totally distracted because before we started, you mentioned that they cut songs from the upcoming into the woods movie which everyone knows i'm very invested in and um not like as in i put money or i've done anything useful i just have loved it since i was a little girl and um so i was trying to find out which songs they cut because you know you have to cut songs and some content sometimes for the movie transition but they did something that i think is a little unforgivable but i'm i'm still gonna give it a try because i i really want to like it but they've cut the narrator out of Into the Woods. Um, have you ever seen Into the Woods? I've never actually asked you that. I've only seen bits and pieces. I haven't seen everything all together. But so, I know what you're talking about. And they've done something different with it. Where it's another character who is narrating the movie. Or you're getting it from their perspective. Yeah. Well, the, the reason that that's problematic is that 
um, and this is kind of not a spoiler alert because the Broadway cast video has been out since 1987 and is on Netflix right now, I believe. But the, the because it's about sto- the kind of breakdown of fairy tales in a way, a pivotal thing happens between Act 1 and Act 2, which is everybody turns against the storyteller. And they get very angry and they decide that they're going to sacrifice him to the giant. And then they find themselves without a narrator, so the characters don't know how their story is supposed to go. They don't know how to get to Ever After. And so the responsibility is suddenly on them. And that is what the whole second act is about. So it makes it's one of those things where I'm kind of going to go in and pretend it's not into the woods because that is a really pivotal thing to change. Well, and I I actually read about this and they were talking about the the changes that they've made to it and how it works for the film version I think is going to work um because they've they've, yeah. they I think I'll give it a try. Yeah. I, my expectations are so low right now. Uh, and I love the cast, just not so just funny. Johnny Depp, because it's Johnny Depp, but because they've actually got like... Uh, but you know what? I like it better because last time I saw it, it was Johnny Depp as the baker. And I'm like, okay, Sweetie can sing, but he can't sing like that. But they've changed him to the wolf, which is a much better role for him. Um, oh, and and, and so Kendrick I'm very happy is in it too. Um, I'm sure you're happy about that. Yeah, she's Cinderella. Yeah, she's Cinderella and she's great. She can sing. I'm most worried about, and we'll get back on track because this isn't even on our list. I'm most worried about. Um, I know. I'm most worried about Meryl Streep. Um, the reason being that the the list of women who have played this role are like Bernadette Peters is the classic one, Vanessa Williams, you know, and so there's this duality to the role that. It's going to be interesting to see how she plays it, and it may be because of how they've changed the story. Um, things that I'm excited about is Christine Baranski, who's one of my favorites of all time. Tracy Ullman, who, again, and she's she's playing Jack's mother, which is such a great, like, horrible harpy role that I'm really excited about her doing it. And um, I'm really, really curious about Chris Pine. Well, keep in mind that this is being directed by Rob Marshall, who I believe won like a couple of Oscars for Chicago. And right. also he did Nine, which was that um, musical with, uh, 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 gosh, how am I forgetting oh, freaking name? Yeah. Daniel Day-Lewis. Daniel oh, my Day-Lewis. God. Yes. Yeah, so he he did that. He's done um, in, and he's doing Into the Woods, as I just said. And he did the TV version of Annie, the TV movie of Annie in 1999. Which was not good. Yeah. But, but the thing is that I'm going to, I've decided to reserve judgment and to go in and see it as a fresh thing and not, because I think if I want it to be the thing that I love, I'll hate it. <laughs> it's kind of like what I was saying about Batman, but it really is true because I think it's like a lot of people really hated Sweeney Todd and I enjoyed it because I liked how different it was and because it wasn't, I lo- I really like Sweeney Todd, but it wasn't so important to me. Whereas like Into the Woods, I mean, I watched this every day for probably about three years, like no joke. <laughs> so I'm serious about my love for it. Like between 1987 and 1992, I don't think I went a month without I, watching. I am hoping that we get a trailer for it because on Maleficent, that makes sense. Being that would that be great. It's coming out in December. It's coming out in December. I mean, it's not like it's like a hundred years away. It's coming right. out this year. We haven't seen anything but that one photo of Meryl Streep. So Which isn't like promising. So um yeah, so we'll we'll wait, but we'll get back on track. I'm yeah, sorry. I'm we- reeling you back in because we have a lot to do. Things that I'm excited about. There's a lot of really great comics coming to TV in good ways. Yes, Constantine. Thank you. Constantine's trailer debuted, and it freaking blew our effing minds. Because um, he's first of all blonde, secondly he's British, and he's wearing the coat. He's wearing the coat, and notice he doesn't have the tattoos yet. Well, I saw tattoos on him though. He's got- not on his arms, though, not his not his classic ones, which means we might get to see how he gets them. Yeah, it looks super good and beautifully shot. And uh, I think that the casting's spot on for this, although I it, still it, see James it, Marsters. 
it makes up for the freaking Dresden show because this is everything that the Dresden show should have been and wasn't. Yeah, and I I think it looks amazing. And then on top of that, we've got the extended trailer for Gotham got released. We finally get to see Sean Pertwee. <laughs> and, and it looked awesome. They 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 had um every every one of the main villains was shown. Donald Lowe got a lot of screen time. Um Gordon, the uh the actor who's playing Gordon got a lot of screen time. It looks I I a lot of people are kind of like, "God, do we need another origin thing?" I think this is going to be neat, though, because it's going to focus on you're going to get to see the origin of every bad guy and possibly so you a, really think it's like the Smallville version of Gotham. I think so. I think it is. And you're going to and I think that's really cool because the secondary characters in the Batman universe haven't really gotten their fair share of of time, I don't believe. Um, and I would love to see this happen. And you get to see Catwoman as a young girl. You get to see Poison Ivy. You get to see the Riddler. I, and, and I love the fact that it's not the Joker. They're not showcasing the Joker, who's had right. as many startup stories as Batman. They're showing all of these other characters who are just as interesting. And I'm really excited about it. Um, but the other DC, DC property that isn't being... Here's the thing with DC. Great TV series great yeah great cartoons not so good with the feature films except for the nolan trilogy they've not been i mean the man of steel great but they do something really clever with their tv shows and their and their animated series in that they get comic book writers in the process and i think one of the things that the film misses is they don't seem to do that as much and so Nolan, Nolan really got a certain aspect of it, and and so did uh, the the first two movies in the Burton. Even though people hate the second one, I love it. I don't care. But like he understood a certain aspect of it, and I think that now I'd rather see more of that comic book, like the comic book artists who've had these stories and have been working on them for decades, be able to to give input. Right, and. So and here's the here's the other one that just came out like literally today as of this recording was released the Flash CW series trailer and I loved what they did with this because they had Arrow show up they had Green Arrow show up in this the um and cuz this is where it came from you know thanks to the success of that series we're getting all of these really cool new shows mm-hmm. and um so Grant Gustin, who plays Barry Allen in this, shows up messing with Arrow as he's trying to, sh- to do his target practice. And it's this great scene. But what's even cooler about this new series is the fact that John Wesley Shipp, who was in the 90s series, remember when that mm-hmm. happened? And I really yep. that you had the trickster. And that was yep. that's how Mark Hamill probably got to be the Joker was his his role as the trickster right. um, is in the show. He's in this show. It is awesome. So I'm really excited about this. This is off topic again, but it's kind of on topic. So bear with me for a sec. That this is kind of how a tie-in should work because Supernatural just tried to do this um, spin-off series, and the episode of Supernatural that was supposed to introduce these characters was so bad, especially in comparison to Supernatural, which you have to understand Supernatural is basically a, like, really entertaining soap opera to begin with. But, like, it was so bad that they canceled the series. (laughs) I've never never heard of that happening before. That's almost as bad as, like, as a Viva Laughlin. It's you know, one episode. You have this thing, and you have this established universe, and it's all of a sudden like, okay, these hunters that are everywhere don't know that these shifter families run Chicago. And guess what? Chicago has this real grim feel and not a supernatural feel. And guess what? It's boring. <laughs> and so it's cool to see that DC is actually doing a pretty good job of tying in things. Yeah, on TV, they're really doing mm-hmm. a good job, and I, I appreciate that. Speaking of TV shows tying in well to their universes, um, we'll get to Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.'s finale here in just a second, but I have to bring this up. Um, as everyone knows, the Agent Carter series is happening. We're getting a, a, a Peggy Carter series on ABC which is a big deal for a lot of, of the, the, the feminists out there and the gals that are tired of, and the guys as well, that are tired of not enough female 
driven superhero properties and and Marvel and DC properties. Well, you're getting uh, uh, Peggy Carter, and that's pretty. Yes, awesome. I'm so flipping psyched about that. So what's going to happen is it turns out from what everyone's saying that the series is going to air during the um, mid-season break for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, next season. So apparently... going to be like a mid-season? It's going to be a mid-season, and that's kind of cool because... But I mean, is it like half... half is it ha- going to be half size? It's like going to be a three-month or- um, run. So I think like a 13-episode... Okay. Yeah, which is... You know, anymore, that's about a season for a lot of people. They're they're doing that's, a lot I mean, of... I, I'm a Sherlock fan. So. Yeah, yeah. Then you're like, <laughs> so that's like times is happy. That this is happening, um, but I think it's kind of. You know, I was like, the other day I realized I'm behind on Hannibal because I was like, oh, that's right. There's more episodes. Like, I don't expect a show that good to have so many episodes. So I'm actually like two another season behind Hannibal, on Hannibal. By the way, that got renewed. Yay! <laughs> Amazing. <So exciting. laughs> uh, I'm Brian Fuller's probably like. I'm- there's so no way this is happening. You know, like I'm sure he's in shock. But yeah, so it's going to happen. Um, 13 episodes. And I think that's kind of cool because that's going to allow them, because I believe um, it's going to, probably what they're probably going to do is do something to tie in S.H.I.E.L.D. with this. So when S.H.I.E.L.D. takes its break, they may be talking about Agent Carter and the things that she did. And uh, it, it, it'll, you know, because... Colson is is a fan of past stuff and he's like a little geek and we love him for it. So his he's probably got a pinup somewhere of of Peggy Carter. <laughs> Which I think would be awesome if he did. Anyway, sorry, I'm veering off. We're veering off. We're veering off. It's uh, a veering off kind of a day. Yeah. No joke. I'm Wonder Woman. Oh wow. Um, in her tights, fighting for your rights. So Grace Points trailer came out. And what? I'm, really? I'm excited. So if you don't know what Grace Point is, you don't know. And if you're listening to the show, you know how much I love David Tennant. I don't know about you all, but I love David Tennant with the passion. He really loves David Tennant. Son. I mean, no, I'm just joking. I love kill you. If you don't, it, not liking David Tennant is like kicking puppies. I don't understand. Yeah, there's something physically and mentally wrong with you if you don't like David <laughs> So it is a remake of a series called Broadchurch, which was like this massive hit over in the UK. Just huge. One of the biggest hits of the year it came out. Um, it, it had it was it was like the Downton Abbey of crime dramas. And so what they have done is they're remaking it here in the States. They're actually, I think, filming it in, up in Canada. But it's set in the U.S. and it's uh, starring. They actually brought David Tennant over here to do the same character in the in the US version. And so he is actually doing an American accent. And he is totally going full Hugh Laurie with this. You cannot tell. He has taken voice lessons and everything and he is nailed amazing. I mean, he has nailed it. And um it looks great. The trailer is like about two and a half, three minutes long. And it basically they really are just scene for scene in the trailer. It looks exactly creating it. Yeah. yeah. And um What's interesting is in the uh, the UK version, Arthur Darvel played was a character in that. Right. And I don't know who's playing his character in this version. He is not. I know that of course. But right. what's so funny to me is that Karen Gillan Karen Gillian is doing a series with John Cho called Selfie, which I don't know about this, but they're both <laughs> they both lost their accents to do their American shows. Which is impressive because Scott, a Scottish accent is not a wimpy accent. Actually, Karen Gillian. Oh. And she is amazing with this. Jessica. Uh, I'm all over the place. I'm sorry. But this is really cool. And it made me so happy this week. So speaking of casting news, Pitch Perfect 2 is coming out. And guess who got added to the cast? Lord. No. Someone I'd be excited about. I have no let, idea. Let me um, she sing. <laughs> She's an amazing singer. She was a trashy TV mom. She was Katie Seagal. Yes. Oh, that's awesome. She's playing Haley Steinfeld's mom, who's also added to the cast, but we knew that. But Katie Seagal, like, if they don't have her sing, it's a travesty against like nature. Oh, they'll have her sing. They have. I know, right? But aren't you so excited about Pitch Perfect Two? I am. Moving on. (laughs) (sighs) You just hate everything I love. Uh, uh, Humble Bundle this week. Um, actually, for the next, I believe. 
as of this airing, I think for 12 days, you'll, you're going to be able to do this, which is a huge, huge deal. Um, right now, you can buy, we're going to go back into Doctor Who for a minute, pay what you want, um, $5, a dollar, whatever, and you get 60 issues of e-comics, uh, Doctor Who Series 1, Volumes 1, 2, 3, Doctor Who Series 2, 1, 2, 3, and 4 Volumes, Doctor Who Series 3, um, Doctor Who Series 3, 1, 2, 3, and 4 Volumes. So you get a, 60 comics, basically, and it, you get the unlock for the Android version of Doctor Who Legacy of all 10 Doctors that are available in the game for whatever you want to pay. Oh. And if you pay $15 or more, they will include the girl who loved Doctor Who, the Doctor Who special 2013, the one that the Doctor comes into our reality where Doctor Who is a TV series and meets Matt Smith. Um, and the Doctor Who Prisoners of Time volumes 1, 2, and 3, 12 issues where every Doctor comes back and they do that great stuff. Um, Matthew Dow Smith was on our show and he did the art for this. And that's mm -hmm. the one that has all the companions, you know, in it. And um, so if you just want to pay five bucks and get 60 comics and uh, uh, unlocks on your legacy game, you can do that. Or if you want to pay more, and by the way, every penny, all this money goes to charity. So if you want to pay $15 or more, you can get all of that. So that is ridiculous. That is a good deal, and you should go do it. So it's Humble Bundle uh, right now is doing that. Humblebundle.com slash books. Uh, so very fast because we, we've been veering. Um, we've been naughty, but it's been fun. It's been fun. Recap review time. The finale, season finale of the first season of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which we know is coming back for a second season. And I am actually glad of this. Phenomenal finale. Not a lot of surprises happened, but it was just really good. And um, actually, Fitz and Simmons had one of the most heartbreaking scenes um, and I, I'm going to attribute that to Jed Whedon and his writing. I'm sure. Because he takes points from his brother on that stuff. And you have them crying and Fitz finally tells Simmons that he loves her. And he can't, you know, he can't say it, but he'll show it by sacrificing himself for her. Does he die? Because I feel like if I like a character, the Whedon, the Whedon brothers will kill He's them. He's in a coma. And you don't know what's going on with them oh, um, they released some into the woods sorry okay they released into the woods pictures i'm just saying all right hold on don't get, the, get we're, we're not varying off anymore so okay. um, phenomenal finale um of course uh nick fury shows up and it's awesome and agent may gets to beat the living poop at award and it is great it's phenomenal and garrett is a great villain and it was gr just just all around fun and Phil Coulson kicks so much ass. I love you, Clark Gregg. I didn't even know your daddy was a minister. It's so awesome. You're so cute. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm not going off there. Now who's veering? Sorry. Um, he was on Katie Couric and he was a doll baby and he looked all Clark Kent instead of Clark Gregg because he had his glasses on. Anyway, um, so Coulson is now the director of S.H.I.E.L.D. Of course he is. And it and they bring back Pat Oswalt. And he has to be a life model decoy of uh they must have like a bunch of Pat Oswalt somewhere, like we all should have a, a spare. Um but yeah, phenomenal ending and uh no more Garrett. There's no way that's gonna happen, I think, after how that went down. But Deathlock is off on his own and it's just really good episode. I was very impressed um with how that show pulled itself out. It 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 fixed everything I, wrong with I it. I disbelieve. I know I'm going to have to catch up over the summer, and and I don't know how you're going to do that unless they put it up on uh, on Netflix, because Hulu only has a certain number. That's of, fine. I mean, but, I'll find it one way or another. But um, Blacklist. Holy shit, pickle Batman! I don't think you can say that on the radio. Yeah, I can. Haha, <laughs> I am. I am. Uh, so uh, Blacklist ended with a blowout finale. Red Reddington's shooting everyone. And um, we find out who Berlin is, which is the big thing. And um, great, great. Wow. I, I, Rachel. I removed my headphones. I'm sorry. That's the best <laughs> I could do. Um, I kind of figured out when he showed up, he had to be the big bad. But Peter Stormare is in this and he is the big bad. 
And I think how they and and um we have no more Tom. Tom's gone. Tom got killed. Tom's gone. No more Tom. Uh, but I because I like he was like I thought that whole storyline was boring. Like you knew what was going to happen. Well, he's gone. And what I find interesting here is you still don't know if Red is her dad, but you know he saved her from the fire because he's got burns all over his back. And um, on top of that. Berlin is missing a daughter, although he supposedly got pieces of his daughter sent to him in prison. I think they're setting it up that there's a very good chance that Liz might be Berlin's daughter. Hmm. And if that happens, oh, baby, that's going to be interesting. So now we've got the big bad who cut off his own hand to get free, which is a whole Hannibal thing. Um, And Red both having lost kids and family so it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out i can't wait that got renewed and um really quickly hannibal phenomenal episode so much going on with that and the big reveal of course that we all knew is that um freddie lounge is not dead and alana bloom is suddenly realizing that the guy she's been sleeping with might not be a good man oh finally yeah i hope he kills her i hate her no i think she'll kill herself if she realizes i mean can you imagine i i really hope she kills herself or he kills her i think she's gonna kill herself and i think it might mess hannibal up a little bit yeah because i think she's a little too lawful good to to be able to stomach it but we she realizes who he is yeah but we did finally get mention of his sister misha and that was a really and um you don't really know you know she's dead but as we know, those of us who are like Hannibal fanatics know the history of the character. The, um, I don't know how they're going to do this in this show because he's younger. Um, in the war, Misha was eaten by these soldiers. Nazis. Yeah, that Hannibal was taken prisoner by. And he was force fed her and didn't realize it until after the fact. And there's this whole thing. So it's horrible stuff that happened to Hannibal. So I don't know how they're going to work that into this. Um but yeah, it's interesting. I love how each episode is another delicacy in the entrees of the season. So this one was called Konomono, and it's seasonal pickled vegetables is what that is. Konomono. Um, but yeah, Mason Verger, you're a bastard. Oh, my God. <laughs> we knew that. No, even more so. Um, also, really quickly, before we bring on our special guests and we get to our Giger tribute, um, Penny Dreadful premiered and was amazing which we knew was going to happen um i actually they did something really tricky and i managed to snag it before they took it down they actually had the second episode up for an hour what to watch and i got to see seance and i know what happened and um some other people got to see it as well including a friend of ours named greg who i told him text me after you've watched it and he did, and he was very sad because something happens you're not going to expect. I was freaking out. Wow. I can't wait. Yeah. Super good episode. Amazing. Dorian Gray shows up. Everybody's here. The gang's almost all so here. It's kind of like a really, um, it's like a really gothy, dark horror League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. In what, yeah, a lot of ways, but better by a lot. Well, I mean, <laughs> like the comics, we uh, the in my world the movie didn't happen. Right, right. And it's going to be it's going to be some good stuff. I have a good feeling about it. So, um with that, we did pretty good on the catching up there. <laughs> uh let's go ahead and bring in our special guest. All right, everybody, and we are coming to our tribute portion of the episode, and as I said before, it's it's always a sad thing when the we have to do one of these, but I also enjoy celebrating these people and that's why we do them um, because they they deserve to be remembered and celebrated so with us tonight is a uh, uh, jean st jean who actually jean worked with um giger um and got to go spend time at his his house and and you went through the museum um which is phenomenal. And also, um, Jerem Morrow, who is, a, as we know, a wonderful artist that we've had on the show previously and friend of the show who has done a wonderful tribute that we will play at the end of the episode. And so I want to thank you guys for joining us tonight. Sure, right on. So, Jean, I wanted to have you speak first about um, the experience of how he's in, how 
he influenced you as an artist as well as the experience of going over there and, and seeing it, seeing all the amazing things in his house and how that affected you as well. Well, my first exposure to him was um, when I first saw uh, the Brain Salad Surgery album by Emerson, Lake, and Palmer. Because mm-hmm. I was, you know, I was a keyboard player before I was doing all this toy crap. So that's what I was really familiar with. And then years later, when I started seeing some of the uh, the alien stuff and everything, and the things he did for the Batman movie, and um, then when I ended up, you know, at McFarlane. He was just this kind of legendary dude, and all of a sudden his work was endemic to almost everything we were doing. And we were involved in trying to reproduce some of his work, some of his paintings in a 3D format. And the way we were approaching it wasn't particularly effective. We had a bunch of people trying to do different bits and pieces. So the, the short and long of it is I ended up going over there as sort of their ambassador and sitting down with him and have him basically art direct the things that he thought were wrong with the piece we had started. And, uh, you know, and I got to know the dude a little bit over a two or three day period. And he was just a real nice regular guy from what, you know, I experienced with him. He just had a real kind of unusual broad vision of, you know, this combination of you could find elements of Dolly and Escher in his work. There was more impressionistic aspects of things and like kind of taking surrealism and stretching the boundaries of it, of it into different mediums, you know, three-dimensional sculptural mediums, airbrushing these, you know, ink work things and <clears throat> the way he would balance distortion and deformity against um, things that were very kind of geometric and yeah. symmetrical. Well, and the, I, his stuff is the first time I've ever actually seen really biomechanical beauty. I mean, when you think that, you think his work, you think Giger, and and I've never seen it done in such a way. So it, it was so. I don't want to say visceral, but just the the bio part of it was so much there as well. Like it was living living metal and living machines. Yeah, that was what always intrigued me about it is he could do things that were very organic that's the word (laughs) and and asymmetrical and then things that were just so structured these series of things like the passages pieces where there's differences in texture and tonal qualities and one element like the central element you know it's all a you know a vaginal theme but it all um the central element gradually changes but he explored these things until he was done with them and then moved on to other things. And sometimes they were related. Sometimes they were pretty far flung. But the, the thing that always struck me is he was almost like a direct reaction to all that pop art Andy Warhol kind of bullshit that was going on around the same time he was starting. Oh, yeah, totally. Like yeah. the antithesis of it. So, Jerem, um, what what first got you mm-hmm. into him and, and how much of an influence on your – I mean, you named one of your kids after, uh, you know, like, <laughs> I know how much this influenced you. So tell us about that, about what he's done for your life and what he influenced you in your artistic ways. Well, I, I guess initially it was it was alien, but I wasn't aware. I wasn't aware of, uh, well, any of the behind the scenes stuff because I saw it when I was a kid. <clears throat> But when I began to find that his Economicon and uh, the retrospective, the 1964 to 60, or sorry, to 84 retrospective, it's just one of those moments, like the first time you hear Wagner, the, the first time you read Poe, suddenly there's this person that's cracked open your head and they, they know your nightmares just as well as you do. Not only that, but they've they found a way to not exercise them, but to, to live through them. And well, there's, I mean, there's, there's, not an artist, there's not an artist working today that doesn't owe him a huge debt. Well, and part of it, too, is the fact that he had night terrors. And I think that you're, you kind of nailed that with the fact that he used those – I think he used those nightmares as a way to create and live through them, like you said. 
which is, you know, a method I fully understood, maybe too young, but yeah, you know, he was a, a therapist for me, if, if nothing else. Totally. So uh, what, what did you take away? Like, what was the piece, the main piece for you, your favorite work that he has done, uh, Jerem? What was the one that for you will be forever him? Oh, God. Really? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have to ask. <laughs> I, uh, that's really, really hard. Actually, I really, I, I love his, um, his more modern stuff, but I, I really do prefer his pen and ink. And his sculpture. Oh, totally. Well, and and I was just, we were talking about before we brought you guys on the uh, the bar in um, he's got a couple. There's a couple of Giger bars out there that I would give my right arm to to get into. And I and Gene was actually got to walk through one. Can you talk about that? Yeah, they, when I had first seen it, it was it was in kind of its embryonic stages. They literally were just starting construction. They had these, they had made these huge uh, struts for the dome of the inside of this kind of uh, this bar area that were based off of the, uh, the alien vertebrae. So it's kind of, he described it. He wanted it to look when it was finished, kind of like an egg chamber. So you'd be in a bar that was like an alien egg chamber and but it had you know like a lot of his stuff it had this weird kind of combination between the sacred and the profane you know that um you know it had the structure of a cathedral type quality but you know the elements that created it were just these weird organic elements and it was that particular one was being built right across the street from his museum which i went to which the whole area was, it was way out in the middle of nowhere. Of course, you know, I don't, it was in Zurich. We drove for like an hour and a half in this car that felt like it was going to just burst <laughs> pieces. <laughs> I don't think they really have uh, a real car. <laughs> well, it was like, imagine like a Chevy Chevette. That's what it was like. Oh, and, uh, God. <laughs> can I curse on this show? Uh, a clean curse. Clean oh, curse. Uh, well, anyway, it was a, it was a crap box. And he must have been driving like 80 or 90 and I hadn't slept in like a day and a half. So I kept falling asleep and I'd wake up and we'd just be ripping along. And this thing felt like it was going to burst like the space shuttle coming through the atmosphere. <laughs> and it's, it's so perfectly fitting. It was. And so we spent, you know, a couple hours in the museum walking around and showed me all the different stuff. The, there was like the ghost train from uh, species and, and they had he had all different versions of the alien suits and sculptures of the alien and then just you know a lot of his other work represented too and the bar was right across the street but the the thing that was even more interesting is this museum was in kind of a castle-y kind of structure like almost in like a little medieval setting where there was a little town around it kind of and this was on top like sort of reminded me of like Dracula's castle and then all the little peasants were in their places below it. And it was like it was like a tourist trap, though, because all there was all little shops and restaurants. And then his crazy ass castle on <laughs> all this weird <laughs> stuff. And I always wondered, I was like, I wondered what the people down there thought of all the stuff in his museum, because it was, you know, it was like tourist trap. And then his stuff, which is just so off the track if just a normal tourist would go through there, you know, it's not like going in, Oh, what a nice painting. There's a nice landscape and stuff. You go through there and it's just, you know, all this blatant stuff right in your face, violence and eroticism. And it was cool that it was a weird juxtaposition of his stuff and this little quaint town, you know, but it struck me as like Dracula's castle over the peasantry, you know, yeah, they'll open his next bar in Disneyland. <laughs> I can, I, an Epcot, I can totally see that working, totally working. <laughs> well, I, I, you know, the thing that I'm, I, I keep thinking about is just how much he did and people, you know, you go back through and you look at what he touched upon, which he, you know, there was the films, there's the music and the covers that, for the, the records that he did. And he just did so much. And, and I don't think anybody else could have done it 
the way he did it because his background was so perfect. He he studied architecture. He did art, and and he uh, the thing that I, the other thing I wanted. I'm, I'm kind of like being all scattered tonight, but. Jerem, you posted a thing on NPR from NPR that I just wanted to kill someone over. Oh, God. It had to have been. I hope to God it was. It was just, they completely lost, they missed the entire point of the man's worth and career. And they made fun of him. <laughs> and they made fun of him, of how he talked. Like, and this was on NPR, which I, I'm like, aren't these supposed to be the people that are like open-minded and, and completely, you know, like artist you know artistically leaning and it's just it's probably a different podcast <laughs> i guess it's about were you just talking about npr though <laughs> yeah kind of, npr is kind of an asshat festival i used to listen to it <laughs> but it's like you know i mean it's just they're too stuck on themselves they just oh, did yes, a whole yes, um not they just did a whole like overhaul of their whole yeah. Uh, thing too so I think they're still finding their voice and sometimes that means they're going to make mistakes which is it's unfortunate that um, it was towards somebody so talented and prolific you know I mean his his art is not necessarily my cup of tea but I understand why it's beautiful and I understand why it's disturbing and you know I mean the fact that he can get so much out of um, these odd you know convoluted monochromatic so much of his work is monochromatic and it's totally fascinating to look at well well, and i couldn't but give the the thing that they the thing that i picked out of that was they they were like name another uh you know uh you know like like another uh, a surrealist like him and i bet you can't and it's like uh do you even <laughs> uh, really? <laughs> I bet you can't. Uh, anyway, he no, deserves the, 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 the main stab in my chest for that was uh, being a fan of, of, of horror and a fan of, I guess, the darker elements of life. There are these these past generations that we look to, and uh, we're coming to the end of a lot of that. And uh, there are a few of them that, when it happens, it, it really shakes you. This is one of those. This is one of those that was personal. Totally. And and his work is just going to be for forever. I mean, uh, so many people homage it. Like with uh, and a prime example is like Return to Living Dead Part 3 and Julie and how they designed her. And I've seen recreations of her character in the middle of, of Giger's pieces because it works so well. I think it, it lost a lot of strength for the general public because there were so many knockoffs that you'd see a Giger piece, you know, a shitty print in a book, and you'd think, oh, that's nice, but it's not that great. People forgot. Right. He changed he's, everything. He's kind of become, his work has become a style in and of itself. Right. The term, you know, like when, when I was working for Todd, Todd, for whatever, he got a bug up his ass about, doing Gigerish stuff and that's what it was we were we did like three or four lines in a row where everything was like i want it to look more Gigerish. so which to him meant add more hoses more little doohickeys and grid work on things and that's what it was is distilling it down to what is the basest element not not the artistry mm-hmm. but just what are the the base elements that can be used to create that look and that's that's what it, I don't know whether that's the biggest um, <clears throat> kudo to the guy's work or whether it's the biggest negative against him that um, people have reduced him to this this style. And the problem, I think, like you to jump back to the NPR thing is people, I think they look at people that whose fine art ends up becoming so important as a style for pop culture and they treat it cheaper because it's not just stuff that's like hanging in the Met or hanging in the Louvre or something. This is a guy whose work has actually crossed that boundary and become something that is adapted into commercial use, you know, not like, you know, not like soup cans or something, but you know, everyone knows what alien is. Right. If no one knows what the hell if no one knows Giger, they know Alien. If they don't know Alien, 
you ask any musician, they sure as hell know what brain salad surgery is. So, and they've seen the cover. And then once you say, oh yeah, you know that cover? I was like, oh, okay, I know who that cat is. So that sometimes plays as a negative against people when there's too much commercial success. When in reality, I mean, you could look at a lot of his stuff and there's some of his stuff that hangs really tight with anything that like Escher or Dolly did or any of those guys that, you know, they specialized in more of this fine art thing and stayed within that realm. Other than, you know, they all dabbled a little bit, Dolly especially. But yeah, I think that's probably one of the things that people inadvertently kind of count against him sometimes. Because, you know, yourself being geeked on all of this kind of stuff. Your opinion isn't necessarily taken as seriously by someone who's more into, you know, kind of uh, snooty kind of stuff, you know? Yeah, they, they, they want fine art. They don't want fine yeah. art that is also pop art. Exactly, you know? Right. Yeah, Especially it, when it's, it's also an eccentric. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right, when it's more, it, it's definitely a lot of people are still scared of, of crossing the boundaries into the kind of things that he did. Well, there, and I think there's this idea that... Um, we want more people to be interested in art, but if people are interested in the art, it can't be good art, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, I think he really challenged that in a lot of ways because of the cross-section of people who were interested in his art. It was, it's a lot more diverse, you know, um, I, there, musicians, horror kids, goth kids, you know, I'm mean, just growing up. Yeah. Um, when he was, you know, especially because of Alien, it was becoming like all of a sudden you had to get the poster, you know, and you had to get this stuff. And it was kind of like, ooh, you know, it's kind of dirty, you know. <laughs> so, and and um, I think that's really challenging to people. And I think that whether you appreciate the aesthetic or not, you have to appreciate that, right? Like you have to, as a thinking person, go... Yeah, in that regard, it's really interesting that he somehow remained to also still be fringe. Right. It, it, you knew who he was, but you wouldn't mention his name across the, you know, the dining room table. Well, I think still. the, I think the thing for him was that is when people went to him to design things for movies, they had him bring him his, his aesthetic to the movie. They weren't going to take what he. They weren't going to take his aesthetic and change it to fit their movie. It seemed like they sort of, especially you look at like the early, the first couple of Alien things, and that stuff obviously was built around his aesthetic. As as the series went on further, they kind of bastardized it more and more and came a little more bubblegum. But anytime his he put his hands on a movie, they were, he was bringing himself to the movie, and they kind of took what. He had, you know, obviously he had to adapt it somewhat, but it's not like I have a lot of friends that do movie design stuff and they're like any other commercial artist. It's like, you know, you're just another pencil and a you know, piece of paper. You know, it's here's what you're going to do. You bring a little of your vibe to it, but it's pretty much bastardized by the time it ends up on screen. It didn't seem that way with a lot of the stuff he did. It was so it was so pure, the majority of it, that. His what he was doing came through. Yep. The species is only watchable because of his designs. Amen. Oh. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> it's true, uh, and that's that's the thing I think uh, that we take from this is, and his work is no one else. I, I really don't think anyone else is ever going to do stuff like he did it. I mean, you're going to have people that have copied him and people that have have uh, tried to do what he did, but he was the first one to really, really do it. And it's still to this day, beautiful, amazing stuff. And, and the fact that he crossed over into physical media too, with like the chairs and the buildings that you're talking Uh, about. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. You asked me what my favorite piece was. I just remembered because you said that the coffer baby, it's a little suitcase womb baby with goggles. It's, It's perfect. (laughs) <laughs> that's awesome. No, you can continue. <laughs> no, that's what I'm saying is um, I, we're kind of, I think we need to wrap up and, and we're going to play your piece. But I think that's the thing with him was he did so much and, and no one else could really do what he did where he took, and it's all the same style. That's what I think is so amazing about his stuff. You can tell it's his. 
no matter what it is. That chair, that's a Giger chair. That wall, that piece there, that painting, that creature, it's his, you know? And I don't know of anyone else that you can really say that about. He put himself into it. Maybe Bixinski. Yeah, maybe. I, I don't know, though, about the physical stuff. I don't know. Well, I mean, yeah. That I mean, that's crossed over into reality, and it's and it's so crazy because it looks like his paintings. I mean, <clears throat> that's phenomenal to me. I'm I'm looking at this bar and I'm looking at these designs, and it's his paintings come to life. No, he he's he was an artist the way Da Vinci was an artist. Totally, and and it's just uh, it's a sad thing to lose him but we've got all this stuff to remember so that is one thing to take from it and he's put his mark on horror he put his mark on science fiction and art forever there's never going to be a doubt of that for mm-hmm. sure so guys i wanted to thank you so much i wanted to play jerem's piece because it is amazingly beautiful to um to listen to he did a phenomenal job and we're also going to post it on fangirl um as a written piece as well so you can you can have it to uh read but i really am uh glad to have him do this for us so gene i want to thank you for joining us again and final thoughts on on uh, the master uh, well i think you know anyone who's into any different artistic medium, you tend to go and sort of pick, pick out bits and pieces of different artists that influence you the most. I think he's probably one of the artists who's probably got the most to really integrate into your style, little, you know, aspects of the work and whether, whatever medium you work in, because he worked in pretty much every medium. Even, even video games. That was the other thing that he did, which I found amazing, too. He, I, he touched everything. And, Jerem, I want to thank you for joining us, too, again, uh, for doing what you did. And uh, real quickly, want you have any final thoughts before we play your piece? Uh, it's been a dark couple of days, but uh, as you find in most of his work. Definitely. It's important to remember the positive aspects of life and push further, especially when you're afraid. Yep. And I think that's, like I said, um, he, uh, he pulled a lot of these visions, I think, from his night terrors to help deal with them. And that's one way to look at it, to not be afraid of the darker places in the world and the darker places in your mind and to kind of embrace it. So um, I want to thank you guys again. Um, Rachel, thank you for for being with us again as always my my dear and um everyone i want you to stay tuned because next we're going to play uh jerem's memorial to the master hr giger thank you again industrial designer painter sculptor director toiler at night terrors friend of salvador dolly whom he appreciatively dubbed a fox as dolly was attempting to bed his then wife Wearer of bread loaves as shoes to a gallery opening, and to my mind, the sole peerless conjurer of Lovecraftian imagery, and by many accounts, the kindest of human beings. We all know his work, even if we don't know who he is, even if we've forgotten just how deeply he changed the landscape of sci-fi. You'd be hard-pressed to find even a minor collector of Phantasmagoria without at least one example of his work in their collection be it a movie, book, art print, album cover, tattoo, home furnishing, toy, documentary, personal anecdote, or the rarest of treasures, an original piece. We've all got our teeth in the matter of his mind, in the fashion with which we devour any monolithic soothsayer of our age. As ubiquitous as Hello Kitty, the architecture of Hans Rudolf Giger's wondrous machinations, is known even to those who would normally shun his brand of biomechanical, psychosexual, surrealist nightmare. Even those very descriptors, now drawn together to describe the work of many other artists he inspired, myself included, are owed to the man himself. Like the enduring, demonic xenomorphs he created for the Alien films, his reach has been long and will surely continue to be so now after his passing. H.R. Giger, father of the alluring grotesque, 
died this 12th of May, 2014, following complications from a fall, age 74. Giger managed wide-ranging success at wielding the popular visual vernacular to discuss the verboten subjects of death, sex, and politics, and often at the same time. He showed us that the notion of anything in art being gratuitous is ridiculous. He maneuvered his fingers inside the slit of our collective unconscious and shared with us his night terrors. Like a maniacal, humanist Johnny Appleseed, planting seeds of self-salvation from the fear of our own minds and bodies, he reminded us of what is good in life and how vastly important is the acceptance of what we absolutely cannot change. The list of people who've managed these feats is short. Timothy Leary once said of Giger, Giger's work disturbs us, spooks us, because of its enormous time span. It shows us all too clearly where we come from and where we are going. I'd go one further and say, and he reminded us to live without fear. Goodbye, maestro.